and welcome to episode 115 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Jeremy Bob. Jeremy is an actor who is currently appearing as Herman Barrow on Cinemax's new drama, The Nick. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, Jeremy, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to acting in the first place. Well, I uh, I, I didn't really uh, get to play a lot on the baseball team <laughs> in high school, and uh, I, I liked baseball a lot, and I liked sports a lot, but uh, maybe I wasn't really taking baseball seriously enough to be taken seriously as a baseball player. So I, um, you know, I was on the I was on the team, uh, the JV team, and my my friend was also on the team, and he, uh, I guess, tryouts for the, for the play that quarter were coming up. It was Romeo and Juliet, and he um, was a an adventurous, more adventurous guy than I was at the time, and asked if I wanted to audition for this play, and I was like, yeah, yeah I guess, why not? And so uh, we both auditioned, and, um, and I did it, and I just, I really liked it a lot. I don't know, it really seemed like it was much more interesting to me than baseball and uh, and then other things I was doing for extracurricular stuff. And so, you know, that was like sophomore year. And I, um, the, the, the final two years of high school, I spent just doing nothing but theater. And, uh, I had this great theater teacher, Larry Coleman, who um, has since died, but he was this wonderful uh figure in, in my uh in, in my learning how to do this and uh you know he especially at the high school level was was quite a bit more advanced and and, and informed about you know different kinds of plays and you know what it meant to really do this and uh and he was a, a really great guidepost for me so acting obviously starts out as a recreation. It does for most people. There are some babies that are working when they're six months old, but for most people, you're in high school, you start doing plays, you like it. How does it go from a recreation to a legitimate career for you? Well, it still was a few years down the road for me. I mean, I, I think I, I thought about it, like taking it more seriously than recreation in high school. And I remember uh, there was this performing arts high school that I, I wanted to go to. and I got into it and my dad was like, you can go there, but I really think you shouldn't because I think you need to just be a kid for a while and, you know, be your age. And I thought that was really great advice, especially since I had such a great high school theater person running the program there. Um, but then I went, I went to college. I think that was probably the first step for taking it more seriously than recreation, um, you know, and studied it professionally and, um, you know, with a, with a mind for going, going on after, you know, school to really being a professional actor. Yeah, I, but I think at the time, I really didn't even know what that meant. And I, I was just trying to not stop doing it, you know, I, and I didn't really have a lot of information or knowledge about how that worked. So, you know, I picked the best school that was near where I, you know, lived and could afford to go to. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's what I did. I went to college and, uh, as it turned out, it was a great program, and by the time I was at the end of college, they had a, an internship uh, program. This is Otterbine College in, uh, in Westerville, Ohio, and uh, they had this great internship program where I, I spent, like, uh, I think three months or something working, you know, for credit, for school credit, 
uh, working in a casting office. So I worked at ABC during pilot season and read with actors and filed paper and FedEx tapes to LA and, you know, really learned what goes on in, in the business and how it works. And uh, and then we did a showcase at the end of the year, and uh, I got a little agent out of that. And, you know, so when I moved here that summer, it was, you know, I had a pretty decent little start. So I want to ask you about The Nick. It's a show you're appearing on right now. Uh, yeah. Tell me about this part and how it came to be for you. Well, I, some, you know, people usually find it comical to learn that my, you know, that I auditioned for two other parts on the show. Um, I auditioned to play, uh, the first part I auditioned for was, uh, was, uh, Cleary, the ambulance driver. And then, uh, and then I auditioned for my part and then I auditioned for, uh, Finney Sears, who was, who's the cop that gets, uh, killed in episode seven, spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, and, um, they passed on me right away for the first two. They held me for a little bit for the third one and then passed on me. And it wasn't until like two months later that they came back around with the Herman Barrow thing. Some circumstances changed, I guess. And yeah, it was all a tape. I didn't meet Stephen until after I got the part. And uh, you know, I'd made a, a tape in a casting office with with the New York casting crew. And uh, and I didn't even Carmen Cuba, the head casting director. I didn't meet her until afterwards either. So it was it was kind of a, a different process than most. But uh, yeah, and then you know, I got the part. I had about a a month with uh, meetings with Stephen and and a couple with other actors, Clive and uh, we, you know, did, did just some meetings to kind of get familiar with each other. And uh, I had the scripts for a, a few weeks, a couple weeks, three weeks, maybe, you know, and uh, started pouring over those, and um, and we got started. So that, that's how it got started for me. Yeah. So what is Steven telling you in these meetings before you start shooting? What kind of things is he telling you about your character and what he wants the show to be at that point? Um, about character, he's not really telling you much of anything. He, he Steven's actually like a, a true collaborator, so um, I think he, I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but my sense of it from the way he works with me is that you know, you do this thing that you do, and I do these things that I do, and uh, you know, beyond some logistical things that are going to come up, the best version of what you're going to do comes from you. And uh, and I think he kind of, unless it's needed, he doesn't really want to disturb, you know, what your what your course is, and you know, what you're trying to do. And um, so I think the meetings were just sort of making sure we're on the same page about. <laughs> about what the project is, you know, generally. Um, and they were, you know, they were kind of, um, as much as anything, they, they were to just get familiar with each other and to be comfortable with each other, which is a, a great favor because it's pretty easy to be intimidated by some somebody, you know, that's as large a figure as he is, you know. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was all very casual and just like get used to each other. I, you know, he did tell me like, you know, we're not, I don't do a lot of takes and, we're going to be shooting really fast. Um, you know, it's pretty uh, stripped down process of production compared to what you're probably used to seeing on a set. And, you know, they so just a little like heads up and, uh, you know, I think he told me that he was glad I was a theater person because I could, you know, to go ahead and treat, treat it like a live performance because, you know, 
there's no warm-up takes. We just don't we don't have enough time for that. I think we covered all 10 episodes in 73 days. So we didn't, we, there's just no time to do 10 takes of anything. You know what I mean? Um, and, and he doesn't really like to, from my experience, he doesn't really like to shoot that, that much stuff anyway. So, uh, he, he really likes to do three or four takes tops and move on. So how many cameras are you using? It's mostly one. He, he, he's got a, a B camera too, that he shoots the A camera all the time. And if he wants to, uh, run a second camera. Um, Patrick, his B camera operator, does that, and uh, he he'll usually if he's shooting just like um, you know a conversation over a desk or whatever, for example, he'll he'll usually dual those, and um, so he he he's got you know live takes, which is kind of cool, I think. Um, but yeah, if it's he's the A camera guy. He, he he's shooting it himself, and then he he sometimes uses the B camera for for dialogue stuff or or for you know for any number of of things. But it's, I would say about maybe half half the time he's using a B camera. Maybe given his sort of minimalist approach with interacting with actors, how does he actually deal with giving notes to you? The notes tend to be. Um, like if he if he's uh, does a lot of choreography for the shot, you know that's when he'll get specific about I need you to be here by this. But it's never ever as specific as you would think it would be. He's uh, you know rehearsals for these shots are are really there's no, there's no plan for the shot. There's no storyboard. There's no setup like idea of how he's going to shoot things. It's really very, very, very organic. And we have no second team or no stand-ins. So rehearsal is really us figuring out both what I, I think the scene is and what he thinks the scene is. And, you know, he, he really has an amazing ability to, um, to just like figure it out. And, uh, and, there's a spontaneity about it, you know? Um, so the notes are more logistical things about movement and placement, you know, and for the camera, but he, he really kind of sees what you do most of the time and captures that. Um, you know, if he, if he needs another color of something, he might ask you for another take a little more like this or more like that. But at least in, in my case, very rarely. The show takes place in 1900. What are some of the challenges of doing a period piece like this? Well, it's you know it's it's one of the like it's it's the curse and the glory of shooting in New York. You know, um, <clears throat> I think you know when you're doing we, we have a beautiful sets, just beautiful sets. Howard designed beautiful, beautiful sets, and uh, so we have a soundstage in Greenpoint that you know when you're on that it you know it's not really any problem. It's when you do the locations that it gets tricky. And in New York, it's just, it's a lot of hustle and bustle. So they got to like buy out the street for the day and, you know, put down dirt and, you know, all this, you got to hide and mask a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, you just, you can just look around on any street you're on and just imagine what it would take to make it look like it was a century ago. You know, it, it it's a, the, the production designers and, and the set dressers, these these people are really incredible craftspeople. It, it, it's it's very easy to underestimate the level of work that was being done there. They, they're they're incredible. And to say nothing of the you know the the post the post production computer work, you know the 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 graphic stuff that they're hiding 
things visually, it's like, oh my God. So that those are challenges. But that said, many of the places we shot, um, you know, you're in New York. New York's a city that's older than that, you know? So there are places in New York where you can go. And once you sort of hide the air conditioning units and the windows and, you know, have people sort of make those kind of adjustments and stuff, you're talking about buildings that are that old. And so more than if you were shooting in Seattle or someplace, like you can actually do this show on a street that's a hundred years old and it's, uh, it's beautiful, you know, and when combined with the, with the abilities of these, these magnificent artists and designers, it's, you, you get something that really looks authentic, you know, or that feels authentic, I should say. You do a lot of scenes with Clive Owen. Tell me about working with him a little bit and how he approaches scene work. Yeah, it's, it's Clive's like, you know, he's he's a real old-fashioned working actor. You know, like he's, uh, for my money, there's not a lot of flash about him. It's very straightforward. Um, you know, it's not... Um, he doesn't really seem like a person who indulges the celebrity aspect of his life at all. You know, when he's, when he's at work, he's, he's there at work. There's no, there doesn't, as far as I can see, there's really no bullshit around anything that he's doing. It's very straightforward. He's there to get a job done. You know, I've joked that, uh, <laughs> you know, Clive, he, he could be, you know, he could be like an electrician or a plumber if he didn't look like that. You know what I mean? It's just like he's, but he happens to be this great actor who looks like, who looks like this handsome living man. And, you know, the reason that Clive does that like nobody else does it is because I think because of the way he treats it, you know, he treats it like work and he takes it real serious. And it's, I think it shows, you know what I mean? It it, it comes off like that. And, uh, yeah, so I, it wasn't like uh, I, th- I think we we did we ran some stuff a couple times before we started shooting and you know just that kind of thing, but not not really like you know it, it wasn't like this long process by which he and I achieved a certain vibe or anything. Like it was really you know we showed up and did the work, you know. And the show deals a lot with race and with addiction. I'm curious, week to week, the you had the pilot. Obviously, pilots are sort of a different deal. They establish the world and the characters who, who are living in it. The second, third, maybe even the fourth episode, there was really a lot of racial tension between Clive Owen's character and the uh, African-American doctor on the show, where Clive Owen's character, John Thackeray, was like a horrible racist person. And it came to a point as a viewer, as an audience member watching it that that has to stop that eventually he has to work with him and be tolerant of him was that talked about among the producers was that was that build always there of the racial tension between those two characters how did that play out the situation with like um the way the scripts work um yes that was always there there was no like there's there were no conversations along the way where we readjusted our course or anything um because of the way that we, that we made the show. So we got all 10 scripts had to be done and finished by the time we started because the whole season was cross-boarded. So it was all shot out of sequence and shot, you know, in order, our shooting order was based on location mostly. And, um, so by the time you're 
by the time we'd shot the first month, we'd been all over the series. We'd, we'd been, you know, if you're shooting Chinatown brothel, you know, in, you know, week three, and there are scenes in the Chinatown brothel from six different episodes, including episode one and episode 10, um, we've already shot that stuff now by the time we finish that week. So it's, as far as making script adjustments as we went along, you know, trying to say, okay, we've got to ease off this racial tension or whatever uh, that, no, that didn't happen. The, the, the writers, showrunners, um, Jack and Michael really, they assembled and, and, you know, they composed, uh, 10 of the best scripts I've read in a long time. And, um, I mean, for anything, you know, like I, I read all 10 of them and it was like, no, this is kind of ready to go. It's ready to shoot. And besides a couple of small adjustments as we went along, um, you know, a nip and a tuck here and there, it, you know, the content of the scripts was, was set and was pretty much set in stone because of the way we scheduled the show. So, no, it was always like that. It was written to ease off. And, it you know, I think, and I also think that Thackeray is less concerned about race itself than he is about the health and um, opportunities for the hospital. So, um, you know, he's not so much uncomfortable being around a black person. He's more knows that everybody else is uncomfortable about that. And what's that going to do to the work at the hospital? Um, so the reason he didn't want him around, at least from where I sat, seems pretty clearly to be about, you know, the functionality of the hospital, not really about his actual racism. Um, you know, and I, of course there's a certain amount of racism that exists just by even considering the world that way. But, by the time he sees what a brilliant surgeon he is and how much they can do together, it's he's, you know, the racism part is gone, you know, um, for all intents and purposes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's more of a, it's a, it's a racist culture, you know, it's, it's an underdeveloped like (laughs) sense of, of race at that time in our, in our culture. Um, so that, that's my take on it. When you're shooting everything out of order and that, you know, you've seen the all 10 scripts, which I imagine is advantageous, but when you're shooting everything out of order, does that make it more challenging for you as an actor? Yeah, but I'd, I'd take that a hundred times over, you know, doling out the script piecemeal two days before we shoot everything, you know, which is sort of the way it always goes on other shows, you know. Um, it, that that gets old really fast for for me because it's, it's it's such an odd mentality, like the the, especially just working for years in in the theater world, like the idea that you wouldn't give me the information, um, as I prepare is kind of like, what do you what is it you think we're doing here? You know what I mean? Like you, I'm basically a moving model. You know, if you're giving me the words two days before we're supposed to do it, it's like, you know, now granted. My, most of the time when you're working on on those you know on TV shows historically they're not as complex as this one is but you know so you may not need to go as much time but but I don't know I think it's it's like the idea that that I I remember once um saying to somebody on a set like gosh it would really help to have the the script a little earlier and 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 saying well yeah but you, you know you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to have it too early would you 
And I was like, well, why? Why wouldn't I want it for as long as I can have it? And I thought, they said, well, just because wouldn't that kind of like throw off your thing to just know what was coming all the time? And it was like, no, that would help. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that would help. Why would that throw me off? And it's just, you know, historically, and it's changing so much now, you know, the kind of like, you know, the, the kid gloves that, that actors kind of get handled with in certain parts of the business. It's, it's just not the way it is in the theater. You know, We're, it's, it's, uh, it's just a much more, it's a much less precious treatment of the actor sometimes maybe. And so I think like, and that's changing. And it, it, I'll tell you what, like uh, Steven said is not like that at all. You know, it's like, here's all these scripts. Here's the the schedule, how we're going to shoot them. See you in a month, you know? And it's like, so I could prep everything. And while it was, would have been a lot easier to, 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 to think about it and consider it and do it if it had been ordered chronologically, that would have been like, you know, really awesome and easy to do. You know, I had to like make a whole like master Barrow Bible that was in our shooting order so that I could, you know, know what was next in our, you know, in our schedule. But then I had to make a separate one that was in order of the way it is chronologically so that I could know, all right, we're doing scene three, seven. Okay. What did I just do in the script and what am I going to do next so that I can like frame you know, make it match and try to land like mentally where I am and, and whatever I'm going through. Like, yeah, that's a challenge, but it's a wonderful challenge. And, you know, to say nothing of the fact that it's financially an extremely responsible and efficient way to work. I think, you know, Stephen told me they saved like 30% on production budget by shooting it that way. You know, which when you're talking about millions of dollars is an enormous sum. And, um, so you know, we're all working together here to to achieve something, and and that's the sense that you get on Stephen's set. Like you you are a part of a very, you know, finely tuned machine, and uh, your part and what you do is vital. And um, it's it's a, it's actually just kind of like the best feeling, and you know, it's, you don't you don't feel on the outside of everything. You know, like it's you're part of this machine in a very clear way. Jeremy, I want to change it up a little bit. Tell me about your worst audition experience. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Worst audition experience. I remember um, when I was first in the city auditioning for a uh, for some commercial. And um, I remember going in and there was this, this uh, director. I don't know where he was from, but he had kind of an accent, European sounding accent. And it was very like loose. And there was a, a, like a handheld camera that was, that was shooting this kind of like, you know, so I walked in and he was like, Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for coming. Like, really good to see you. Listen, we're going to do this really fast and like really like free, like off the cuff, kind of like crazy. Right. And so like, you just say the line that we're going to kind of like move around you and do this thing like this. And like, uh, yeah, just go ahead and go. And I was like, <laughs> like right now, like, just start right now. And he's like, yeah, just go ahead and start. And there was this table, and these people were sitting at this table behind him. And um, this woman was talking on the telephone, and, like, loud enough that I could, like, hear the conversation. And, um, like, in the audition room, and I was like, uh, maybe I've been, I've always been a little, sometimes a little more uh, bold than was good for me. But at this point, you know, but this is commercial audition. Like, you know, I can't, what, what am I going to do? Like, 
stand there and do this while she's talking on her phone with her dad or whoever. So I was like, yeah, but she's she's still on the phone. And he was like, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Just go ahead. And I was like, no, I am I am worried about it. I, you know, like I'm I'm, I'm not going to start until she's off the phone. And he was like, oh, but that's it. Don't worry about it. And I was like, just I'm serious, dude. Get her off the phone. And I just sort of stood there and looked at the woman and she was just talking and talking and she kind of looked at me and realized that everything was stopped because she was on the phone and she turned red and hung up the phone and said, sorry. And then, you know, everything was really tense and awkward by that point. And I did, I did whatever it was and asked people to buy Doritos or whatever I was meant to do into the camera. And, um, and then walked out and it was a very, (laughs) very awkward series of moments. But, um, I was I was proud that I did that. I, I felt like that was a, a mark in the W column for the dignity of actors. Are there things that you feel every actor should know that no one really tells you about when you're first breaking in? Yeah, I, I actually I'm I'm home at my parents' house in Ohio right now, um, and just yesterday afternoon I went to the college where I uh, where I went at to school and um, and talked to the students there, and a, a similar question was asked of me and. Um, I would say probably the thing that is really important for actors, like we're the, we, we're we're a profession, a, a group of people that gets glorified and um, you know put on a, a pedestal in some senses, um, but nobody really realizes that like that that treatment of the actor applies to like one percent of of us, and there's another you know however many actors there are. Um, thousands of actors who who are actually kind of culturally dismissed. You know, it's not it's not an easy road to get to to that one percent. You know, and uh, and there's also not a lot of money to go around. And I think that by nature, actors are behave and are treated as artists, and you know, don't think about things like money. But I think for me, I would say that learning how to handle your money is a really important thing for actors to, uh, to take note of. Um, you know, it's not like you've got to become an investment wizard, but I think learning how to get yourself to a point where you can afford to take, um, lesser paying creative opportunities to develop yourself and to get your, to get your, your, your creative, um, you know, efforts going, um, without having to worry about money. You know, uh, I think that's a big, that's a big thing. And, and, you know, some people have trust funds or whatever, but for the rest of us, you, you have to learn how to be good with it and learn how to save it and learn how to take care of it so that, so that you can actually grow your career. And, uh, I think of people that's for whatever reason, that's one of the last things actors think about. And, um, I don't think it has to be like that way. And I think it's a healthier pursuit when you can be responsible with your money, you know? Is there anything about your career that you would do differently? Hmm, what an interesting question. Uh, you know, I, I, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm no different than anybody else. And you know, there there are gigs I wish I'd booked that I didn't, or there are, you know, there are. There's always another rung on the ladder to climb up. But you know, I'm not dead yet, and uh, I think that I wouldn't be at the position that I am, uh, if, if I, if I, if I sacrificed even one of the, 
failures or shortcomings that, um, you know, that shaped who I am. And, uh, so yeah, I'm a pretty big believer in like owning your process and, and, uh, you know, really, um, being pretty, pretty steadfast in, in your course, you know, that you're, that you're charting for yourself and, and really, um, staying on it, you know, and, and I don't think anybody, anybody can boast a course of perfection, you know, like we've all had pitfalls and potholes that we've fallen into here and there, but it's, it's, um, it all kind of adds up to, to what you're, what you're doing right this second. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think career wise, you know, like I've, I've had to learn as I go and I'm proud of that, that education I've given myself and, you know, the, the people I've gotten to work with and meet along the way in the theater and, you know, elsewhere have been really wonderful teachers for me. And, um, no, I wouldn't trade any of it really. I, I really wouldn't. Is being a working actor what you expected it to be? I suppose that depends on when you apply that question. I think like by the time I got about halfway through college, I was pretty aware that like, it's t- you know, you need to exploit the resources at this school to become as good at this as you possibly can and then brace yourself for a pretty rough road. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I don't know. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty realistic person. So I, I, I don't often get, um, caught with rose tinted glasses on, you know? Um, so I, I don't, you know, when I got to New York and it was like, no, you're gonna have to work three jobs to make rent and still somehow go to auditions. Um, that didn't surprise me. Like I was, I was ready for that, you know, and I, like I said, interning in that casting office for a few months was a big help, you know, where I could see like, man, like there's a lot of these people, you know, and it's, it's really hard to do this. You know, this is a hard thing to achieve. And for me, that just made me want to do it even worse. So, um, no, I think being a working actor, uh, my initial goal was just to be able to make my living just as an actor. And, you know, three or four years after being here, I, you know, got my first like Broadway gig and, and have been able to do that since then. And it's been, you know, that was a big accomplishment for me. So, you know, it took three solid years of, of reality, you know, and really getting familiar with just what it is you're after that. Yeah. By the time I'm at this place, I'm not, nothing really shocks me about it anymore. And I don't know that it ever really did. Like, I think there's no way to really brace yourself for how, um, how rough it can be at first, you know, like how, how degrading it can sort of feel, (laughs) you know, sometimes like, how like what how how worthless you can feel at first when you get here, but I, I kind of I had braced myself for it, you know. I, I I was I was ready for it. You've been listening to Jeremy Bob. You can watch him on Cinemax's outstanding drama The Nick, and follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Bob Two Bs in Bob. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hey, no problem. That was a nice dark ending. <laughs>